to Hello, Don Gavin. Hello, Joe Rogan. Good to see you, sir. It's good to see you. It's been pleasure. a long time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to get you on here, man. I'm a thrill to be here. We've talked about you, uh, I don't know how many times, many times. I've heard that from my son. He says you mentioned my name glowingly. Is the yeah, he well, hey, man, you were a giant inspiration to me when I was uh, coming up. When That's I was a kid. good to hear. Well, you know, I've talked about this so many, many times, but that era of uh, Boston comedy, when I started in 88, and uh, you guys had already been through the ding-ho, and all that's it, it been gone, and it was the heyday of comedy. It was an amazing time, and, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to see guys like you, and, and Sweeney, and, you know, and all those guys, and Mike Donovan, and Kevin Knox, and, I mean, you go down the list over and over and over again, Lenny Clark, and just some amazing time for, for stand-up back then. Yeah, that was certainly the heyday. Uh, I came in, I started it around 79, and it had been going on for one or two years, but going on meaning not much going on, you know, and then it built and built and built, and then to the point that uh, that explosion, as you said, uh, wow. It, and and I always like to think people talk about a Boston style. It wasn't a Boston style, other than being very aggressive, maybe. Yeah. Uh, there were, but everybody had different ways of doing it because we didn't know. It wasn't yeah. like an L.A. style or New York style. There was just all different approaches coming out to the same end. You know? Yeah, you started in 79, so that was really like the beginning of comedy clubs, right? Yeah, well, they weren't even comedy clubs. You mentioned the Ding Ho. Ding Ho used to be a uh, like a saloon, and the, the guys that were sitting at the bar when we first went in there, they refused to leave. So they stayed at the bar, and all they would do is when we put somebody on the uh, up on the stand, you know, they'd turn around and say, hey, "Shut the fuck up! We're trying to drink here." You know? and <laughs> we couldn't get we, we couldn't get rid of them. So finally, we willed it out because they got so tired of hearing the microphone. But that was that was a, just a, a joint. That's all you can say. You know, just, and it became a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a Chinese restaurant. It at was first? just a saloon, I think. You know, and uh, and then suddenly this guy came in. It was approached to put comedy in there. And Barry Crimmins was one of the guys originally. And Lenny, myself, Sweeney, as you mentioned. Yeah. DJ has it, people like that. Jimmy Tingle. Yeah. There was a bunch of us that came in at that time. And once again, no particular one style. Other than the fact that we kind of created that the headliner would be the host. Yeah, that was a weird Boston style. Like yeah. when you have the Don Gavin show. Yes. You would go out there and host yes. and you do a few minutes in between each comic. Right. Yeah. And, and you, Well, we didn't know it was weird. <laughs> because I wanted to be in charge, and if you, if Joe Rogan went on and you're supposed to do 15, and you do great, great. Now Bill Johnson comes on, he blows. I'm going to go up and take the mic after about six minutes. Yeah, that was that was Bill Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> and then go on to the next guy. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. at the end, that headliner would close the show. Yeah, so you yeah. had that much control. Of it. But when you started doing more and more shows, like I started Knicks in Boston, initially. It was a joke. It was supposed to be a tax write-off, and they tried to sabotage it. That used to be a steak joint. Really? Yeah, yeah next steak joint. And uh, well, so when we did it, one week the stage was collapsed. Next week there'd be no, no sound. Next week no lighting. Uh, the, uh, the doors would be locked. And, but then eventually more and more people coming in. Then they got upset because we were getting in the way of the people going to the, the steak pot. And then they said, well, maybe we can make money on this. We'll go upstairs. There was an upstairs there. And that was used only on one night of the week for Greek belly dancers, <laughs> where, where they were paid two hundred dollars. The, the next was two hundred dollars. In fact, these, these Greek belly dancers, the, the production people, they brought in their own liquor, so they only made two hundred dollars for the whole weekend. So once we went wow. up there to one show, then the show, 
And eventually, and around the time when you came in, we were doing five shows my, on my night on Saturday night. Five shows in the same place, upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, I remember that. Um, that was before I was getting paid, so I was uh, really an amateur, but I remember watching, there was a show in the upstairs room, right. and then there was a smaller downstairs room, and then there was another time where they did it in the disco, right? They had, which <laughs> yeah. is, a, it is a disco now, I well, think, right? If it is, it's a very sad disco. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was sad then, too. Yes. But it was strange that everyone was cycling from room to room. Right, and you go from upstairs to downstairs. And again, the first week we tried that with the fire show, you were trying to host. It was yeah. impossible to go. But yeah, I mean, the, the guy on the side of the stage would go, you're supposed to be on downstairs. I'd go, well, I'm, I, haven't just, I just started up here. <laughs> and it was so confusing that you'd get on stage and you'd say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Have I, ever, have I already said that? And, I, and then you weren't sure. <laughs> It got to the point, and also with the few drinks involved by the fifth show, yeah, there was some repetition sometimes. Well, that was the thing that was also about, uh, that was interesting about Boston comedy, was that the partying. Like, yeah. they, you guys were a bunch of fucking savages. I mean, that's what I remember. Uh, yeah, it was pretty widespread at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, but again, we didn't know. Right. Uh, and almost all of us get in trouble with the IRS because yeah. you get paid in cash. Right. And then you just kind of forgot. That's what I said to him when I got called in. I hadn't paid taxes in seven years, and I got called in. And I said to the guy, I thought it was humorous. I said, well, I forgot. And he didn't think that was that humorous at all. So, no. so that, didn't, that went on and on and on and on and on and on to finally get that cleared up. But How did they catch you on something like that? How did because they Because I was on the cover of a calendar magazine in the Boston Globe. There was a group shot of about eight, ten of us. And there was my picture. And this guy had the picture, and, you know, when he confronted me, he goes, how come we don't know anything about this? Uh, you know, do, do they pay for this? What do you do for me? You know, used to be a teacher. Where's that money? You know, so, yeah. So that was how I got caught. So the little bit of infamy of fame, I guess, that I had is what uh, knocked me down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody got done in with the IRS. Wow. I know Donovan, he got done in. Oh, the whole right? crew. The whole crew. Everybody. So how do you clear that up? Like, how do they decide how much you owe? Oh, that's certainly, that's a, a give and take type of situation. They have a, uh, an appeasement thing. I mean, I had guys knocking on my on, the, on my door at 7 o'clock in the morning, and and then you'd have to meet with this guy, and then that guy would get fired and would start all over again, and and lawyers, and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. But it finally got cleared up, you know, they... They took extra money. They knew that they weren't going to get the whole thing, so they took some of them. How many years did it take to clear it up? For me, it was well, quite a while, four or five years, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. How much did they hit you for overall? At one point, I was a little behind. I think it was 128000 And uh, that was the figure that they came up with. And, but 90, 80% of that was in interest on the you know the fact that i didn't pay them the 400 dollars right. that 400 finally would go up to 1500 dollars you know so that's how the the deal was but somebody somebody thought it was a gold mine to attack the entertainers and that was us so once once they got one they got another and another and the dominoes kept falling oh uh, did anybody skate did anybody wind up actually paying their taxes oh well, almost all of us are still no but, know, but did anybody like not get in trouble Oh yeah, there was some a few intelligent people. In the, in, <laughs> like who? Few, well, the ones the ones that had families and, oh, uh, and okay. uh, yeah, they come the normal ones, I guess. That uh, actually paid. Yeah, the ones that were not at those parties. Yeah, there was a thing about you guys though. Like it was for us young guys coming up. Like you guys were like Peter Pan's. Like you were you were living this life as you know 
Boston's a very blue collar place, right? Sure. Very hard working place, all of New England. And we uh, stumbled in as amateurs, as open micers, to, to this environment that, you know, where you guys were the kings. And you guys were fucking wild men. Like, there's, we heard all the stories. Nicks would pay you in Coke, and it's just everybody was drinking all the time. And it was like everyone was laughing and yelling. And I was like, how is this possible? How do these men get to live this life? <laughs> and what I was doing when I first started, I was a high school teacher. Yeah. I was, so I was teaching and doing this, the, getting out of the clubs at three or four in the morning, and then try, attempting to be a teacher about three <laughs> or four hours later. So, uh, when did you quit? I got out of teaching in 84, I think. So I did maybe crossed over the two together. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a, a rough patch there because I knew something had to give. Yeah. You know? And I tell the story that, that uh, I was coming home from teaching, and not from the clubs at night, but teaching. And I fell asleep at the wheel, and this was uh, on the highway, and I was hitting the stanchions on the side of the highway, bang, 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 bang. And eventually, as I'm going down this gully, you know, so you know, they pass in front of you? No, what passed in front of me was, how am I going to make it to the show tonight? And my head went through the windshield, the whole deal. I came up, uh, climbed up out of the gully. I'm, I'm trying to thumb to get home. And I've got blood running down my face. I had no idea how bad it was. And then I had to go to the hospital. So I go, my friend, we go back. To, I was going to get the car out of the gully. The car was total, you know, I mean, beyond total. And there's hair and blood on the, on the windshield. And I said, oh, I better pick one job or the other. So, <laughs> so, so the comedy comedy won out. Did they have open mic nights in 79? Sure. Oh, no, uh, in 79, no, no. When you first no. started, what no. was it like? Uh, well, the first time, there was only one place in existence, and that was the Comedy Connection. and uh, The little one? Uh, the one on Warrington Street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably, yeah, yeah, 150 seats at two. Yeah. And two guys ran that. Uh, I think there was Sean Morey was the guy that had been on the Tonight Show. So that's in our days that was like, oh my God, you know. So he, he ran a comedy class, and two guys took the class: Billy Downs and Paul Barkley. And Paul Barkley, and they decided to, you know, maybe we'll do this comedy thing. But again, people didn't know what a comedy club was. You mentioned that, like when Jay Leno was way before us, there weren't there were no comedy clubs. He worked maybe strip joints or like a, at an auto place or this or that. There was there was no place to go to. See. And even people would say, well, "What's the comedian?" You know, other than right. watching TV. You didn't know really what stand-up comedy was even. So, so the beginning of it, it started off slow. And uh, I remember my first paycheck, once I got paid, $8. Uh, that was know, your first? $8, yeah. Wow. And I still have that. I have the, the copy of the checks. Do you really? No, a copy of it. I actually cashed it. I needed the $8. So, <laughs> of yeah. course. Yeah. But, so that was what Bill, Billy Downs and, and Barkley did that. And in those days, you auditioned instead of a... Uh, open mic night. So it was just the two of them. And I had to go in front of them. And I looked at the two of them and I said, I don't, I don't, I don't really like this because I, I said, no, at least one of the you two are not going to understand what I'm doing. You know, because you really don't look like a brain trust yet. And, uh, and I got hired and I immediately was really good. And the next show I did was really good. I'm doing the same 10 minutes because I was a bartender and had some patter. Right. And the third one, they called me like a night before and said, you know, somebody fell out, can you come in? And what I had done, I had written 15 minutes of comedy that day. Sure, I have. You know, but in my mind, that's what I thought. And it was the worst death of the world. <laughs> that 15, I got about two minutes in, and people always say, you know, what happens when you bomb? Well, you don't, you don't, really, don't, you don't really bomb after you've been doing this for a while. But that two or three minutes seems like an eternity. You know? 
It was it seemed like hours, and then I just went back into some of the old stuff, and I got out, and I actually got into a fist fight with Lenny Clark about it because he was he kept on saying to me, you know, "Do you work in New York? Well, you know, you, you've been." I said, "I've never been on a stage before in my life," you know, and so we when we, we were not friends at all at the beginning, and we got into we got into a little to go over that, and, and the guy said, <laughs> yeah, a fist fight? He, "Well, he said, yeah, he said, oh, that was a great set. He was shitting on me, and his friend saw he was witness to the fight and broke it up, and he says to Lenny, he goes, he goes, you, he said, what's all about this? He said, he said, you just said he had a good show. He said, he sucked. He knows it. Let me, and you're being an asshole to call him, you know, calling him out, and when they maybe came fast friends after that. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah Lenny uh, was the second guy I ever got paid to uh, open for. Really? Yeah, the first guy was, um, God damn it, uh, Warren... McDonald? McDonald, yes. Wow. Right. Wow. Bill McDonald's brother. Uh, yeah. It was uh, George McDonald's brother, yeah. Wasn't uh, it Bill McDonald? No. It was, there was George and George Warren. McDonald was the host of the, the open mic night. He could have been. Yeah. 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 Wasn't there a Bill McDonald too? Didn't he have another brother named Bill? Uh, not that, no. No, I'm fucking it up. No, Kevin. Kevin was a, uh, a fighter. Kevin was, McDonald. That's Kevin right. McDonald. Kevin wound up going away for a little bit. Yeah, he visited a couple places. A couple yeah. places. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay, I fucked it up. Yeah. Right. So, But I opened up for Warren. Right. I opened up for Warren in a Norm Lafoe gig in Western Massachusetts. Very good memory. Yeah. Uh, that one. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, Warren was one of the original way back guys. Yeah. And then another normal foe gig was uh, when I opened up for Lenny. Wow. That was Jay's in Pittsfield. Did you ever do that one? Uh, I don't remember that one. No? That was a good one. Really? Yeah, it was a good one. Three and a half hours away. (laughs) And well worth it. Yes. Well, it was for me because I got got to know Lenny and Mike. Yeah. And just to get on just stage time. Yeah. Just to get on the stage. Yeah. 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 Because there were so few places that were... In effect, doing comedy. But but during the time when I was an open micer, things exploded. I was very fortunate. That was when there was three clubs on Warrington Street alone. Right. Right? right. There was right. Nick's, there was The Connection, and then there was a comedy club at the Charles above The Connection. Yeah, that, the Duck Soup. That was across the street. Right. Yeah. The, but do you remember when Mike had The Comedy Club at the Charles above The Comedy Connection for a brief period of time? Yeah, yeah. So there was three, and then there was Duck Soup that right. was on the other side. Right. So it was four. All within like 100 yards. It's crazy. Yeah. And they were all packed. Yeah. And the lines would be out the, the, on the street. In the middle of winter, I remember going out at my show on a Saturday. There's people out there with two inches of snow on their head. <laughs> and I'm going, you're actually waiting to see me? There's something wrong with you people. You know? Well, it was something magical about those times because... Comedy clubs, just overall, were only a couple decades old in the whole country. I mean, you had the earliest ones were like uh, Comedy Magic Club, Comedy Connection, Catch Rising Star in New York. Right. You had a couple of clubs that were open before, you know, before the the Boston explosion. But this is all real recently. So, like, imagine an art form that takes over the entire country. And it really only started in the year two thousand. Yeah, the in, from the inception. That's what it'd be like the, from the inception to the explosion. Yeah, it was not a mature uh, art form at the no. maybe ten years, twelve years. Right, so. you got Lenny Bruce in the fifties, right. George Carlin in the sixties, prior, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in the nineteen eighties. This is it's a, f- a couple of decades, right. and these clubs were fucking packed. I mean, I really wish somebody had done a documentary on it back then because it was oh, yeah. such a strange time. Yeah. If you could get real footage, of what I know, Fran Salamita had that one yes. documentary when Stand Up Stood Out. Yeah. But I, I would like to have just shown 
like how crazy it was. Well, people were scalping tickets. Yeah. I, I, I said, oh my God. this is. But it wasn't anywhere else like that. Chicago never had an explosion like that. Boston had the weirdest explosion. Yeah, and there was a multitude of people that were talented. Yes. It wasn't just, you know, a few. There was a, a lot. Because I used to go down to New York, and uh, New York had a scene, and, the, and L.A. had a scene. But not nothing as expansive as that. And, and I, I started after those two had already been done, you know. Yeah, the Boston scene was a different animal because yeah. you could work everywhere. The thing is you could work in town and you can get paid in town. You could do, you know, there's all the different places. Uh, Say it again, Played Against Sam's, right? right? Stitches. Stitches, yeah. all those different clubs. But then there was all these satellite rooms, all the Dick Doherty rooms and all the, right. you know, the Connection Ed rooms and right. Boston Comedy Ed rooms. They right. were everywhere. There was hundreds of rooms. Right. And they were good rooms. Uh, and then... I think that the demise, at least from the real apex, I think, came when the comedians were no longer running the clubs. The, you know, it was owners came in and the greed factor and every every corner store, you know, if a tire company would go out of business. Oh, that's a comedy club now. Oh, the mm. gas station, bowling alleys. How many bowling alleys did we work in in those days? You know? mm. and, and so one after another, and I think what happened was it gets so uh, diluted that people would go to a show and say, I don't know what. All this is all about this fervor right. because it's this is they didn't get to see the good community right. Yeah, so. Well, there was a there was about twelve of you, you know. <laughs> there was like twelve murderers who would just <laughs> run around, and to this day, I swear, I I tell everybody, I think they're the best comics I've ever seen in my life. To wow. this day, wow. there was moments at the at the at the Nick's Comedy Stop and at Stitches where I'm like, that is about as good as stand up comedy ever gets, and. Some of those moments, like the the comedy stop, Nick's comedy stop used to do a dirty trick when a famous comedian would come into right. town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an outsider. <laughs> they would have some poor bastard, like uh, you know, like um, you know, fill in the blank. You don't even need to name it. Just someone who didn't didn't do comedy that often. Richard right. Lewis, let's okay. say him. Yeah. and he would be the headliner. Right. But before him would be you and Sweeney and Kenny and Rogerson, Kenny Rogerson and Donovan, and it would just be a murderer's row of yeah. fucking savages. Yeah, uh, Mike McDonald. This yes. guy, this guy, yes. this guy. Yeah. And th this these poor bastards. I, I, I saw. I, I came to Nick's Comedy Stop right after Billy Crystal had bombed. Yeah. I like came up the stairs and they were talking about it. Like you guys had set him up. And, you know, people were saying, like, you never seen nothing like it in your life. This poor guy's a movie star, and he went on stage and just ate plates of shit. Yeah. After, yeah. After five people had just been destroying. Destroying for an hour, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so you got, like, each guy's doing 15 minutes, yeah. and you've got all these guys going up there just yeah. And it wasn't unintentional. It was, for, you know, oh, yeah. why is this guy in our town? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, that was the thing about Boston. Like, when a, a guy came into town, like, if you do stand-up, in any like you do stand up in Philadelphia, like if you showed up in Philadelphia, people would go, "Oh, let's go see Don Gavin." They would want to go see you. Right. You do stand up in Boston. You from out of Boston. Everybody's like, "Fuck this guy." They just just set him up, and the <laughs> club would set him up. That was what was so crazy. Well, the reason the reason they would bring these other outsiders in, they would get plugs possibly for on the Tonight Show or something like that. None of us were on the on the right. on the scene or on the you know on the on the radar. So they would bring in, like, George Miller was the guy, I remember. You know, a nice sweetheart of a guy. But, you know, he was just, what you said, yeah. running the gauntlet uh, before, you know, before he got on. <sighs> what was, did those guys think when they watched that? They must have been fucking terrified. Well, Richard Lewis went on TV almost in tears complaining about, and they put all these guys in there. I don't know where they got all these guys in there. And, 
and, and they did it the first night, and then they did it the second night, and I don't understand what, what they have against me. And, 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 I, oh. and I think she said, well, maybe they're funnier. You know, it was one of those comments. You know? Yeah, well, it was, uh, it was a dog-eat-dog world there. You had to be able to survive in Boston. And the, the tension span, like the way the, the stand-up was, it's like they didn't let you guys, like I should say they, you didn't let anybody breathe. There's a Boston style of comedy. It's like, here's a fucking punchline. Here's another punchline. Here's right. another punchline. Take a breath. Boom, there's another one. And these other guys that would come in from out of town were not accustomed to that style of Certainly. performing. More laconic and more yeah. like this. And I, I was told that I talked 70 words a minute, gusts to 100. And I have, you know, one of those uh, VHS tips. Where, and I play some of the, those one time recently. I'm going, I have no idea. All I know is there's people laughing, but I have, I have no idea what I was saying. You know, so <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, well, you had sneaky punchlines. You would sneak punchlines in. It would look like you were done, and the, the sides would come in, and right. boom. Or a tag here, and a tag yeah. there, and move over there. Did you just develop that style on your own? Yeah, I didn't. Again, what did I know about style? I just that's just the way it was. I was always a fast talker. You know, you come from big Irish families, and if you don't talk fast, you're not going to get the bread or you're not going to get the food. So yeah. you know. So I had three brothers, and uh, and downstairs my cousins lived. And there were six there, so four, you know. That, so that, it was always bang, 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 bang. And it was all everybody was an Irish Catholic basically that was on the comedy scene. You know. Yeah. It, it was certainly. Not homogenized by any means. Well, that's also interesting, too, because it was in a lot of places, it was more of a Jewish thing. Sure, sure. But Boston, it wasn't. Boston, it was like a lot of, and big guys, too. That was the other thing. Everybody was like six foot three. <laughs> Everybody's a big ass fucking gorilla. Yeah. And they were all doing coke and drinking. And it was like, whoa, this is a crazy place. It was almost like, well, you better be funny. And also, if a fight breaks out, you better be good at that, too. Yeah. I just be sort of good at it, but certainly you're not backing down. But that was this thing about it. It's like comedy, in a lot of people's eyes, is thought to be something that, like, nebbishy, you know, sort of insecure people get involved in. You guys were all fucking savages. So it was weird for me because, like, people would say, oh, I always felt like comedians hated themselves. And they're all real insecure. I'm like, I didn't really see that. Like, you, not not where I started. I can remember a battle at the Ding Hall. That I mean, it was a pretty good brouhaha at the end. It started. I think it started outside the club as they were coming in, and it, it emanated that it was inside and outside at the same time. And at the end, we you know we ended up finished doing the show, and and at the end, all people were talking, but nothing about the show was just about. Hey, man, that tingle really held his own, didn't he? You know what I mean? We're talking, we're talking. About. I said, "Do you have see so and so with the two headlocks and this, you know?" <laughs> and going, "What about the show?" Oh, yeah, that was good, but uh, then not do it. There was a lot of brawls. I remember brawls. I remember a lot of brawls breaking out of clubs. But it was just to me, I didn't realize how lucky I was to start there in in 1988. I really didn't. Well, when you came in at the beginning, I, I always thought when you came in, I'm saying, "Wow, this guy has got something." But I thought it was a little too dirty. I thought I thought that wasn't going to work for you, but. You are, but you knew kind of, you had it in your head what you had to do. You knew that you had to measure up or, or you could be pushed to the side. Yeah. Know, when you came in. Don't you agree with that? Well, there was not much room. You know, you had a. You had to be good. Like even if you wanted to go from being an open micer to hosting or to getting a, a gig, you know, on the road. You had to be good. Boston didn't leave you any room for for scrubs. There was there was too many. Right. 
too many good comics. Yeah, that was definitely dirty. But I was that's all I was interested in. You know, I mean, like when I was 21, I was a fucking savage. All I cared about was uh, sex. Yeah, sex, and I came from fighting. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, that's all. I, I didn't know anything. Like, it so would what, fit in though. Yeah, what I thought was funny was you know just it was kind of fun. I, and I was talked into doing comedy by guys that I trained with. Right. So I didn't think that I was funny. I didn't think I was going to be funny. I made them laugh, but I thought, well, you guys are fucking psychos. Of course, I'm making you laugh. <laughs> uh, my my sense of humor is wrong. It's all <laughs> fucked up. They're going to think I'm an asshole. <laughs> So I was talked into doing it. Uh, and uh, the first comedy show that I ever saw, I went to Stitch's open mic night. Sure. And uh, I went and watched. And I remember seeing going, sitting there watching all these guys go up on stage and seeing people doing it for the first time. And, and I realized, oh, a lot of people suck. Like, you could do this. Huh. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm better than that guy. I'll probably be better than some of these people at least. Yeah, when I first came in, that audition thing I talked about, I went in, a number of those people we're talking about were on stage. And I was prepared to do this audition. I was with this girl at the time, and she goes, what about the audition? I go, nah, nah, I don't think so. So I just, I just left. I didn't even explain <laughs> it. And I went back the next week, and then again, real good guys, but there was one guy, I won't mention his name, you, you wouldn't know the name, but I'm going, oh, Finally, someone I know that I'm better than this guy, and that's when I auditioned that night. But he got me in the show business. I will mention his name. Gene Franz was his name. He may still be alive. I don't know. But wow. he has no idea that he got me into comedy. So. Well, that's Richard Jenny said that once, that that's the purpose that really bad comedians serve. They inspire people to try it. <laughs> oh, it worked. It's, there's something real to that. But I remember uh, my first open mic night, um, when when I went up, you know, I, I, it wasn't very funny, but... Uh, I got to see Teddy Bergeron. Teddy Bergeron sure. performed that night, and he fucking lit that place on. Jonathan Katz was the host. Wow. Yeah, Jonathan Katz was the host. And now there's uh, a guy you talked about that was kind of, uh, you know, a different different direction, different style, smooth, yeah, and, and slow, slow, easy going. Yes. And yet he was a fan favorite. Yes, yeah. hilarious, yeah. great comic. Yeah. And then went on to do that cartoon, Doctor Katz. Yeah, which I did that. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. But watching Teddy go on stage this was teddy was in his prime it made me want to quit i yeah. was like oh jesus christ yeah he had been he had already been on like the tonight show mm -hmm. and then the gold diggers with dean martin and stuff so when he was you know when he was sober yeah and on his game wow oh my god yeah to this day he's one of the best i've ever seen he was so smooth yes yeah, I'm a polished where a lot of the other guys were rough edged. Yes, it was different. And he had more pauses and he was uh, slow. And he pace. dressed well. Yes. And yeah, he almost stood out just because of that. But it was kind of classy, you know? He looked like he could do no wrong. So when he would have a problem with uh, drugs and alcohol, yeah. I was so confused. I was like, how? Oh, that guy? Yeah. I was like, that guy's the smoothest ever. Yeah. Because, you know, when I saw him, he was like in his 30s. He was, he was young and just uh, fucking on top of it. Right. Right. I got a, I got a chance to work with him a bunch of times. Yeah. Weird gigs like the Mattapoiset Inn and this, a bunch. How of, do you remember all these names? I don't know. It's my curse. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I got a, a bunch of strange names for places. Well, we had in my all the places yeah, down the Cape and the, the mm -hmm. one night is. And yes, that, yes. Yeah. yeah. Those were great, though. I mean, boy, you talk about seasoning. You would get a, a lifetime's worth of seasoning on the road, just traveling all these different places and seeing all these different weird bar crowds and standing on a fucking milk crate doing stand-up into a shitty microphone. 
<laughs> all those gigs. And yeah, and once I got into it full time, that you know that encompassed that was your whole life. Did you? And you were working yep. six six nights, maybe seven nights a week, and probably five or six different venues. Yeah, you were, and sometimes three or four venues in the same evening. Yeah, you know, you get in the car and go over here and go over there, go over there. I mean, I don't know how many years it was before I realized you could date someone that was not a waitress. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't even aware of that. <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird ecosystem, right? It was like <laughs> comics and waitresses, hand in hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, we're just so fortunate that we we're from, that we started our, our, our comedy in Boston because it was, it was a magic time. And when I would talk to people that are from like Arizona, like, how'd you start out? Like, well, I had to drive two hours to Tucson. And sure. Like, fuck. Yeah. Like, there was nothing. I was told that when I moved out here for a brief period of time, I lived in Studio City, I was told... That I would be driving sometimes two hours to make a hundred dollars. I go, yeah, right, right. And four <laughs> months later, I'm I'm driving two and a half hours to make seventy five dollars. I'm going, wow, that was somebody knew already what was going on here. Yeah, when when I thought I was coming out and signed with the agency Spotlight was the name of the. Oh, agency. I remember that. Everybody was supposed to be Spotlight. They're the they, people that ripped everybody off, yes, right? Yes, they, they promised everything and and never delivered on the on the word. And so I was one of the few that. Owed them money because I heard something was going south. So when they when they finally called me in and looked to get lawyers involved, and I sent them a note back saying, uh, "Dear so and so, uh, I know that I owe you thirty five thousand dollars. Just take it off what you owe Lenny Clark, and we'll be all set." You know, ah. they owed him like eighty grand or hundred grand. Or something they like owed that. him a lot well, more than maybe that, more didn't than they? that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I said, "Just take it off," and that. never heard from him again. Uh, and they, I, I think they beat Milano for over a million dollars. Yes, yeah. they beat Seinfeld. They beat everybody. Seinfeld too. Yeah, that's right. they yes. beat everybody. Yeah. yeah, there was one agent that was a dirty agent that was pocketing all the money. Yeah, there was a bunch of those situations like that, though, right? Bob uh, Williams was the name. Yeah, mm. who's still in the business? No, yeah, out of Branson. Yeah, real. Oh, Branson. That's yeah. right. Lenny told me about this. That's yeah. right. Yeah, fucking Jesus Christ. I don't know if he changed his name or whatever. He He changed the industry, but he's in Branson. Apparently, he's doing quite well. He never paid everybody back? No, no, no. no. Wow. How does that? It's clean. See Oh, my God. If somebody owed me a million dollars, ooh. Yeah, but they used to have this thing, you know, do you like money? You want want to sign with this? We'll we'll give you, you make this and this. And, they, you know, it was was contractually written. How old were you back then? Oh, I didn't start comedy until I was 33. Wow. So I was much late. I had been a teacher and a coach, and you know, I had two kids, and uh, so I got into this much later than most people. What brought you into it? Uh, I think probably because I was usually reasonably funny in life, and then as a bartender, I was a wise guy bartender, you know? And uh, like, for instance, people would sit, I only had 22 seats. Four guys would sit and say, what's your cheapest beer? I said, root beer, get the fuck up, screw, you know. <laughs> you know? I said, those seats, I said, if you tip me $20 before you order, then you can sit there. And then people would do it. And so, so that kind of that kind of mushroomed in that, that way there. But yeah, it was, it was, again, the same aggressive bullshit thing. So that it was easy to carry that on into the, on into the stage. But well, I had never been on a stage. I thought it was kind of, for, like you were uh, feverish type people, you know, doing stage stuff. You know? Yeah, I, I got. I like how you danced around the words yeah. there. <laughs> Feverish. I think I made a word up even. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was effeminate. Yeah, well, okay. Yes. It was not for manly men. Yes. Yeah. Not at all. Not but the, I was, the I, been, I was playing basketball in college, and I was waiting either to get picked up to go to the dorm or whatever. And there was a play going on in uh, you know rehearsals at this college, and 
I'm watching them going. And it really pissed me off that two of the actors didn't really didn't seem to be putting their effort into it. And I, I don't know why, but I'm going, I could do better than that. So that was one of the things in the back of my head about being in the stage. But I had never been, I had never had a mic in my hand. And I used to wear loose pants because they could see my legs shaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why, if, you know, my act, I sit on the stool most of the time. So, I, so that way they wouldn't see me, you know, in effect being, you know, for the first year or so being. Yeah. You shook that much? I think so, yeah. Though not in the drugs. <laughs> and but the uh, and same thing with taking the mic out of the mic stand. I thought they the rattling and the, there's nothing worse than seeing a community up there doing you know this thing bang 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 with the were the drugs there from the beginning. Um, let me think. Ah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like in the old, it's like in the old days, you know, this, you know, the story about your mother says, "Don't you know if somebody offers you drugs, don't take them." I said. Well, they don't offer you. You have to buy them. You know? <laughs> but initially, you didn't have to buy them. That was the thing. Everybody, everybody was doing it. You know, it's like smoking. When I was growing up as a kid, ninety-five percent of people smoked. And why? Because other people ever smoked. You know, I stopped smoking in the year two thousand. My clock and I had a bet, and none of us we haven't had a cigarette since. So apparently, I wasn't addicted. But everybody smoked. So the same thing in those days. Everybody was either a drinker. Uh, doing the doing the blow or uh, smoking the bones, I mean, some, you, you had at least two or three vices. A lot of a lot of deck, deck chairs to throw off. You know. Did you have any of those vices before you got into stand up? Uh, no, I think it grew. It pretty much blossomed once I get in there. Now that I think of it, uh, yeah, I used to smoke. That was about it. But nothing. No, nothing else. No drinking. Way. Uh, not heavily at all, hardly. hardly not heavily. heavily. And I covered up for after. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I made up a lot of ground. I can tell. <laughs> I mean, now all the guys are AA. I'm, the, I'm like the only one left drinking. And I notice there's much more liquor everywhere I go. There's always liquor. You know, yeah, liquor. everybody cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're looking at you like you're the last Mohican. Yeah, it's like uh, Bobby Nickman, a comedian and a writer. And he, he said that he first got into AA because he needed the stage time, you know, <laughs> to take it up and uh, talk in front of a right. crowd. But he was one of the first guys that kind of cleaned up. And then this guy, and then this guy, and, and there's very few of them. Well, a lot of guys came from AA, and that's how they got their start. Do you remember Dave Fitzgerald? Oh, sure. Funny guy. Yeah, yeah. He got into comedy from Alcoholics Anonymous, because yeah. he would go up on stage and tell these crazy old drinking stories, sure. and people would laugh, and then he polished those stories up, sure. made them tighter, and then started doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, but uh, it it uh, when you, in the we'll say in the mid-'80s, the early-'80s, if, if you weren't a drinker, you were the exception to the rule, again. Yeah. Wow. So you weren't a drinker before. Not really. You just started hanging out with these guys. and was I'm not blaming just, any of them. On no, it. hey, look, I'm not even. <laughs> but was it right away? Like, just you, just you walked into this lion's den of people doing drugs. Who was the fucking, who's patient zero? <laughs> like, who, because there was, wasn't that many of you, right? Well, I think that, I think that it, uh, it came to a culmination at the ding hole, because mm. we basically uh, ran and owned the place, and we'd stay there until I, I can remember walking out there many times, going, "Oh, beautiful! It's not even light out yet. You know, it'd be, <laughs> be six thirty in the morning." Right. Know? But we were serving drinks, and and half the people there'd be ten, twelve comedians sitting around, and and four or five other guys, and the other guys are cops. They're in there drinking with us too, so wow. we weren't going to get busted or anything. I mean, Kenny Ryden first got there, he walked in the door there, he got there. I don't know how, but he got there around two in the morning, and. There's six or seven of us, you know, they're either smoking joints, doing doing some lines, drinking, and we're up on the stage playing cards, you know, for money. And he goes, 
goes, what is this place? You know? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. Paradise. Yeah, he had no idea. He goes, someone says, well, what do you want for a drink? He goes, well, who are the te- tequila drinkers? And everybody goes, nobody you are. So, so then he's getting into other stuff. So, and he, he made up for lost time, too. That was what we'd always, we'd always heard about the Ding Ho, like it was like some legendary place. You know, when we were starting out, it, it closed in like 84 or something? Right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about the, maybe, yeah, right around that, Someone maybe a little there, bit later. I started in 88, and we had heard about the Ding Ho. It was like, it was sp- spoken in hushed tones. Yeah. It was like, you know, that's where it started. Well, it closed in a heartbeat because the, the owner lost lost the club and playing Chinese dominoes. <laughs> no, he lost $240,000 in one night. And, and it was my night. Uh, then I had my show there on Fridays. I come in, and I'd never saw uh, chains or padlocks bigger than that on the front and back door. Never to be reopened as a comedy club. It became a uh, Indian restaurant or something. Else, but it just went gone. Playing Chinese. I don't even know what Chinese dominoes no, are. That's good, probably. <laughs> <laughs> God, I mean, it's it's crazy how something like that can happen where there is just this one place and one core group of people, and then the comedy club scene branches out from that. Like, Houston used to have this place called The Laugh Stop. Did you ever work sure, there? Sure, you did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the same thing for Houston. Houston had a great Houston, scene. Well, Houston was a little crazy uh, it was with wild. people, too. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. And when I first went there, it was when it was at its wildest. It was after Kinnison had gone, yeah. and Bill Hicks had left, and all those guys were gone. And Yeah, Calabo was another yeah, guy in that group. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jimmy Pineapple. Yeah. J- Jimmy worked with me the first time I ever did a weekend there. Really? And the first time I was ever there, I was like, wow, this place is like a lot like Boston. Like early, like these are a bunch of wild fucks. They had an op- they had a show going on in the main room, and then in the bar area they had another stage. And mm-hmm. the open mic night started at eight, went till two o'clock in the morning. So you get done with your show, the show would be over at ten, and you go out to the bar and you'd be fucking hanging out there for another four hours because the show's still going on. Yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. I do remember a good story there. I was you used to walk from the hotel to the venue, and I'm and it was all the you know cowboys basically down down there and. So I get, I'm walking, I get hit in the back with the water balloon, but you would have thought I was shot, with, shot by a, a, a rhino gun, you know, bang, that thing. I was soaking wet. When I get there, I had to put on one of their T-shirts, and I'm going, I can't believe how, how this guy hit me that could. So when I get to the club, I see the car. It was recognizable. I go, they, oh, they come, they're coming to see me. So I went inside, got a hammer, and went out during the show in the opening hours and broke every window in their car, including the directionals, <laughs> the side thing, and stuff like that. And I commented on the stage, but I got hit by this water balloon. I said, whoever did it, nobody took climb. I said, what? But what a great aim you had. And But I didn't mention about their car. That's know. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Did you go out and watch? Oh, yeah. Check to their window? <laughs> yeah, what they do? They, they were not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I put I put those little tiny, uh, uh, you know, directionals on the side of the car. I mean, every window, because <laughs> anybody can flatten it. Yes. If you break every single window, that's that's an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment, and that's a lot of work to get that yeah, fixed. Yeah, it was, especially with no lookouts. You, know? you change a tire pretty. Qu- yeah, you had no lookouts, right? <laughs> <laughs> But that scene, the Houston scene, was similar in that there was a lot of drugs involved and a lot of really funny comics, but and aggressive too. Yeah, very aggressive. Yeah, well, uh, Texas, you know, yeah. wild fuckers down there. But when that club closed, that scene died out for a long time. It's apparently it's got a resurgence now. The scene's coming back. There's, yeah. there's some real good comics coming out of there right now. But that scene was dead for a long time. It wasn't wasn't much going on down there. And oh. like I was like, that's interesting how a scene like a place as as good as Houston could close down with one club. 
one club goes under and the whole thing just throws, well, throws that happened, water on the I, fire. I believe that happened in Chicago. Chicago used to be a terrific uh, city. It was my favorite city to travel to. It's a fall comedy. They had an improv. They had a catch. They had uh, the Laugh Factory. Uh, they had, you know, not just Second City because that's different, but... And that was and the same thing. Zanies is, I think, is the only one that's still in existence there. Yeah. And and that went off the, off the cliff right away too. And I, again, I blame owners, you know, mm-hmm. greed and not paying people and things of that type. You know? Well, they start treating it like any other business. Yes. Comedy clubs it, it are, became that a business. Yeah. It's a asylum that needs to be run by the inmates. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly. It. And when we ran it, when I booked all these shows and stuff like. Yeah, there didn't seem to be any problem. We and again, we weren't making much money, but it, we didn't seem to care. You know, right. whatever you made, you spent. Right. So if you <laughs> if you had eight hundred bucks in your pocket, wow, that's I got eight hundred dollars. You know, yeah. you're not not thinking about you know. I guess I might want to eat next week too. <laughs> <laughs> next week is next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, that's way that's way in the future. the way the comedy store works is essentially that way. I mean, Mitzi obviously ran it, but she let the comedians run it for the most part. Right. You know, she let everybody work out their own issues and p- solve their own problems, and she would just book you. Right. She just tell you when to go up, and it was just a madhouse. Yeah. And it, to this day, still very is similar. It still the same. Oh, it's packed every fucking night now. Wow. Now it's crazy because of the internet. Now people hear about it and they know about it, and they got people flying in from Australia and England and Ireland just to come really? down and see comedy all the time, That's all the time. A, wow. Always meeting people there that are they, they basically have comedy tourism from Europe. They fly in to the comedy store like any night of the week because the comedy store on Monday they'll post the, the schedule for the week. Sure. And so people read the schedule and they go, all right, let's fly in on Tuesday. So they'll fly from fucking England, eleven hour flight, and come and see see comedy. Wow. Because there's no comedy club like they have a comedy store over there in, right. in London, but it's not affiliated. They just stole the name and they skirted into international law by you know it's like they made their own Seven Eleven. We're Seven Eleven too. Like it's not the same thing. But I don't know what the comedy's like over there in terms of the comedy store, but you know they when they want to come here, they they fly. And wow. so on any given night, you run into people that are from all over the world. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. You should come. Yeah, it's not. You should come work, just to see it. You know, years ago, way way yeah. way back. But I haven't been around these. It's different now. Yeah. It's fucking madness. Yeah, lines around the block. I mean, it's like in a lot of ways, it's like Nick's in the heyday. Three yeah. rooms. Yeah. There's the original room, sure. the belly room, and the main room. Right. All three of them are going at the same time. Multiple shows a night. Fucking madness. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 nuts, but without the coke. There's no coke, <laughs> no fights. It's really it's pretty. T- yeah, it's pretty. Because that used to be a pretty. Uh, Pretty yeah. scary uh, denizen out yes. in the back there. Yes, yeah. it used to be. Yeah, it's it's much more calm. There's a lot of marijuana. That's yeah. about it. Okay, a lot of weed. Sometimes mushrooms, but that's oh. about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it, nothing nothing too crazy. Yeah, but it's funny that when we were doing it, uh, even though we were doing it for for a living, it was seemed like it wasn't a business. Yeah, like that's why I'm promoting this album that I have, and uh, I had this album done before. And it's, it was great, but I never had anybody produce it. You know, just made some copies of it. And it's called Don, Don Gavin Live with the Manhattan. Live with the Manhattan. And I was almost like a bootlegger, selling them, you know, maybe a few after a show at the back of my trunk. <laughs> but finally we're releasing it. That's one of the reasons about it now. When did you record it? I recorded it in 2011. And Whoa. So it's 10 years old. But my material, hopefully... Yeah, it doesn't get stale. It's because I don't do a lot of current events and I don't do, do politics, so it's still 
Uh, I mean, I have uh, some jokes that are old to some of the people that come to see me. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you like when you when you put that out? Is that the first thing that you've ever put out? Yeah, that's the only thing. And I and I owned it, but I didn't do anything with it. So now, when I get to, uh, to a virtual comedy network with Joe Serp- excuse me, with Jimmy Serpico, he. Uh, we did a, another album, a comp- compilation of, of guys in Boston, and he uh, saw someone said something about me, my album. He goes, "I know he had an album," and he got a copy of it. He says, "Oh my God, this is something like discovering something." So he kind of came into my life for, to help out, see if we can produce this thing. And now it's on Sirius uh, XM now and Pandora, and then it's going on uh, all the streaming devices starting next week. But right now it's a. Uh, uh, I think they have the uh, what do you call it, the rights just for those mm-hmm. two stations. Yeah. So if somebody wants to get it, how do they get it? Right now, they can get it on SiriusXM or Pandora. And as of I think next Thursday, it's on it's streaming live. And okay, because if it's on Sirius, you have to wait for it to air, right? You can't just it's uh, Sirius doesn't stream, right? I've got to be honest, I'm I'm not good about any of this stuff. I don't think so. Do they stream, Jamie? You can probably search it. Yeah, they have downloadable stuff and whatnot. Oh, okay. So on the app, as opposed to on yeah. the actual yeah, yeah. thing that you in your car. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I am so in anything mechanical. Well, I, I'm proud that I think you sent me your first text ever. <laughs> oh yeah, which took me almost an hour and a half to do because <laughs> I go, okay, here's the T, here's an H over here. You know, I mean, that's how slow I was in doing that. And but I, you used to teach. You don't know how to type. No, now I had girlfriends. And, uh, <laughs> I went through a bunch of them because I had to write a lot of papers and stuff. You know. Ah. Yeah, so. No, I never typed one one letter. Ever. So that's legitimately the first text message you ever sent. Thank God. And you thought oh. it was a joke and that it was. Oh, thanks. No, Mike Clark was telling me. Yeah, it was my first. Yeah. And then I sent the next one. I realized you could use the microphone thing, and it came out in some foreign language, <laughs> Latvian or something that, that, that I sent to you. Well, it's because of your fucking accent. <laughs> no, but this was yeah. But, I know, but oh, okay, the iPhone's you, probably like, what the yeah, fuck is he I, saying? That's probably it. Yeah. And they said, well, eventually, eventually they'll get used to your voice apparently not so. no it's never going to figure out your no, voice no that's for regular voices oh shit okay I'm, I'm <laughs> the sorry. accent's just too crazy i still have an accent huh? oh okay. yeah i didn't know. a little bit yeah, yeah. but the, the thing about like all those guys from that day is very few guys put things out you know barry put out a couple specials and uh louis ck produced one of barry's specials lanny of course had a few things he was on the Dangerfield special and but. He did some stuff, but a lot of, like, Donovan. Like, how do you go find Donovan's best stuff? You're like, you, you got to go see him. Yes, yes. That's, yeah. that's the craziest thing about Boston. It's like, these guys are world-class stand-up, some of the best that have ever done it, and there's no recordings. Well, there's I think no that, specials. I think that I was not unique in, in the fact that I was not a businessman. We yeah. Just, we just, we did it for the, not just for the love, we enjoyed the money and that you're spending money and whatever, yeah. but... It, it really never entered my mind. Like Jimmy was asking about, you know, did I? How did I release this thing? I never. I don't know. You mean released it? I just made the thousand copies and I sell a few after a show and that, that never did anything with it. You know. You never thought once. No, I'm an idiot. Right? <laughs> but you, you must have seen all these HBO specials and all these different things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually. But you but, never like, yeah, hey, I should do one of those. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll, yeah, maybe maybe I'll get discovered. So <laughs> at, at the age of 106. Yeah. <laughs> So now that you've done this and now that you're releasing this, do you think you'll put out more? Oh, I plan on just hoping, hoping this is going to make a difference, you know, because uh, for years I was called the best kept secret in Boston and in comedy. And I'm going, you know what, 
I'm kind of tired of that term. I'd rather not have a secret anymore. I'd like to maybe maybe get out there. Well, you can still get out there. I plan on it. I plan on it. The the whole thing about the internet is just content. Just keep keep putting content out. What you have, you're a hilarious comic. So I'm sure your album's awesome. People get a hold of it and then they'll go, "Hey, where's the next one?" Right. Put out another one. Next thing you know, you could tour nationally. Yeah. I I really firmly believe that. I hope you're right. Oh, I guarantee I'm right. (laughs) It's it's just a crazy thing about that scene is that no one did that. Everybody stayed in both because the money was so good. There was so much work, and you didn't have to. Yeah, you basically didn't have to go to it because you had work there. Yeah. So, so it, it, in a way, it spoiled you, but in a way, it, it spoiled you rotten, you know, the other right. way. Right. You never really attempted to make it into, you know. Some guys did get the gumption to go up to, you know, to New York, and some came out to L.A., but as a rule, a lot of us just stayed in, in Boston. How long did you stay out here when you came out here? Oh, just about nine months. And people said, what do you like about it? I said, the weather, and that was about, oh, that was my only answer. But, what was it like going back? Did it feel like home? Like, ah. Oh. I felt like I really hadn't left, you know. I just moved to Florida a couple of weeks ago. So Did this, you? That, that's the first time I've ever. Yeah, what are you doing in Florida? Uh, getting warm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good time to move to Florida, yeah. middle of January. Yeah, well, it's going to be. Uh, hopefully, once I get things unpacked, I'll enjoy it there. But the, uh, you know, there's a lot of clubs down there, and there's a lot of the corporate stuff, and then I do a lot of the golf things and th- that kind of stuff. And my, I do a lot of cruise ships, and then most of them go out of there. So. It's about time I moved, and and the weather primary. That's the primary. The weather, weather. yeah, Yeah. it's a big difference. But I would think that after all these years, you're going to miss headlining the Boston clubs. I will, I will, yeah. But uh, I've been working less and less in the Boston area because I do a a whole lot of these uh, cruise ships things, you know. And the cruise ships, that industry has become bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, I just got off a ship, the Royal Caribbean, six thousand one hundred passengers on it. Whoa, yeah, that's Uh, a big boat. I live in a town in the Hunt, and I remember that near Marblehead. Yeah, three thousand people live in the whole town. There's double that on the on the ship. You know, so that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Do you like doing those cruise ships? I enjoy it. A lot of a lot of downtime. You can read and write, and like you said, maybe a second album. Yeah, I've got material hopefully. So we'll see if we can get that first one up and running. How yeah. do you write? Do you just with sit a pen, down? Mostly. Yeah. yeah. Do you just sit down with an idea, or do you have an idea ahead of time? You jot them down like in little notes, and then yeah. try to flesh yeah. it out, like like this, you know, just this thing. Oh, like right, you got right yeah, there. Yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, that type of thing. Uh, uh, I, I like a simple. This is not a whole joke, but just the other day I'm thinking about stoners, you know, and and, and, and it says, why can't we? Why can't we? Why can't we just all get a bong? So I thought that was. Funny. <laughs> Not that good. I didn't say it was good. You write stuff, you throw it away. Write I get it, it. Throw it away. Write but it, so throw it away. these ideas pop in your head and you write them down, and then do you flesh them out on stage or do you flesh them out on paper? On stage, you know. But you you know that. If some new thing, you know, have to figure, where am I going to incorporate it? You're not going to put it first. You're not right. going to close with it. Right. you got to weave it in somehow. Into Sometimes that. I'll open with the thing. Really? Yeah, you That's never kind know. of ballsy. Because I want to dig a hole. I want to see. Really? Yeah, because I, uh, sometimes I feel like I know I got some good jokes that I could do after this. Let me just see. But you've got the notoriety and fame, so you, do, you, do you feel that, uh, uh, that that is a strike against you, that they, they're they going to be acceptable to everything? Is that why you It's a strike against you if you eat shit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's but when if you open with something that you. you're not sure of, yeah. Well, I've, I got to know there's something there yeah. before I do that. But I like to do that sometimes because... Maybe four out of four out of ten times, a punchline will fucking pop into my head out of nowhere, and it'll be good. 
Yeah. Like uh, I, one of my best bets from my last special uh, about Harvey Weinstein came the day he got arrested. The day the shit went down, I went on stage that day, and I had I had a couple drinks in me. I was feeling good, and I just went on this rant about it. And, and this is not something you had already written out. No, no, I had a couple sort of ideas about where I was going to take it, and. The, the, the basically the gist of it was that if like all of you if Harvey Weinstein did this to my daughter I'd want to fuck him up like all of you I go but if Harvey Weinstein was a woman if Harvina Weinstein came to my son with a solid contract I'd be like dude you're gonna be Batman <laughs> and this is the this is the gist of the bit and I'm telling you that dude you're gonna be Batman right. came out wow. just came out on stage wow. and the day he was arrested everybody's going fucking crazy yeah. and it was. And then I was saying, like, nobody nobody gives a fuck. It was an ugly old lady that was fucking handsome young men. Nobody would be mad. Right. Nobody would be mad. Right. And it just became this giant chunk of it. I'm like, I'm mad at that guy. He's disgusting. Fuck him. Lock him up forever. Right. But, but if Harvina Weinstein, and then I, so this. Did the audience believe that you just. They didn't know. Did, or did they know I that you just them. came up at that point? Well, they point? knew that it couldn't be old because sure. the thing sure. had just happened. Yeah. But sometimes, like four out of ten times, that'll work. Right. And then the other six out of ten times, you go, well, right. so much for that. Yeah, move you, on. But yeah. it's like the only way new jokes get made right. is chances get taken. And the biggest chance is to go up first with it. Wow. Just open with it. I'm going to have to attempt that. Then. I don't do it all the time. Right. But I feel like the first couple of lines anywhere are more like just saying hi and getting to know right. everybody. And every now and then you throw one out there and it sticks. And you got go, ooh, I got something there. I, re I record all my sets. So I'll listen to it. I was going to say, do you, would you have trouble remembering a, if you did a particular thing? Goes, yeah, because Shit. especially if you have a couple of drinks in you yeah. and you're just riffing, you don't remember exactly yeah. what you said because you're in the moment. You can't go, ooh, I got to remember that because then you'll break the spell. Yeah. My son Chris does that to me all the time saying, Dad, is that, is that something new? I go, no, I just said it. He goes, well, you got to write this shit down. You know? Well, Donovan is the guy who convinced me to record all my sets. Yeah. Donovan told me, get a tape recorder. He, he had all this fucking, this brick that he would bring on stage with him. He goes, he goes, you never know. He goes, you'll have a line, just one line, and that line will make your bit 10 times better. And if you fucking forget it, you, you, it's gone forever. Yeah. It's yeah. like when you have one when, you, when you're in bed and you think of something. If you don't yes. get up and write it down or if you don't somehow yes. record it, that next morning you try to remember that and that good luck to you when i'm with my family uh, i will if i got an idea in my head i just say to my wife got an idea and i just run away <laughs> i run away wow. i'll run like a block away and just wow. start talking into my phone because if i don't it'll go away yeah yeah because i've had so many times like oh that's a good idea and then my daughter's like dad can ba -ba 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 -ba. But stop touching me they'll, they'll fight with right, each other right. and my wife will say what are we doing and i'm like hold on i got an idea stop 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 <laughs> so now when i get this idea i just go i got an idea i just wow. go and then right. I come back, oh, I got a good idea. This is a good idea. This is solid. Okay, well, I'm back. I like it. And then it. I'll put my phone in my pocket. But having a phone is the best because you got a notebook, you got a fucking recording device. It's all that. I used to keep a real notebook. Sure. But it takes too long to write yeah. shit down. You lose it sometimes. Right. But you, if you say it into the voice notes, you actually say the idea, then you can keep it. You can capture but you have it. But that means you have to carry a phone with you. Which, yes. Which you I don't carry a phone? I'm an idiot. Again, I told you. You don't carry a phone at all? I do now, but now that I'm trying to be aware of what's going on. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, up until like two years ago, I had a real deluxe flip phone. You know, there's something to be said for those too, yeah, though. Yeah, the flip phones are nice. Yeah, so you can certainly avoid people. Yes, that's one. You know? Yeah, avoid text mess. Ari, Ari Shafir, he has a flip phone. He doesn't. Well, actually, he doesn't now. He he actually went back to an iPhone, but he put a timer on it so he could only use his phone for an hour. Wow. Yeah. 
Because otherwise he starts playing with his phone and going yeah. on the internet yeah. and yeah. going to social media apps. Right. You don't have any social media, do you? Uh, we will soon. Oh. Uh, we're in the process now. That's it. That's the deal. So 2020. Yeah, yeah. Making I just moves. Took, I, I just, uh, I'm a kind of a slow mover. <laughs> like a turd that races by me. Like, are you going to do it all yourself? Are you going to post tweets and all that shit yourself? Oh, shit. I don't know about that. I just found about Instagram today. I thought there was a pill that you took. But uh, so the, I'm on Instagram now as of like yesterday. Oh, so what is it? Just Don Gavin? Uh, comedian Don Gavin. Uh, how many pictures you got up there? Oh, at least four now. Is there a regular Don Gavin other than comedian Don Gavin? You mean to reach me? No, a different person that has the regular Don Gavin. Uh, Jamie says yes, a different guy. Well, somebody, yeah. Somebody, yeah. in the old days, people would buy your names. And the guy yes. wants, and I contacted the guy. He wanted $7,500 for my name. Like really? I, and I'm going, my name's not worth that. So, so, so I never paid him. So, oh. yeah. So is that how that works? If somebody, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to pay for mine. Yeah. I bought mine. Somebody had mine. I bet you make money. See, this yeah. <laughs> It's the whole thing about the Instagram is like everything else on the internet. It's just continual content. Like keep putting out content. Wow. Keep putting things out. That's the whole thing. Yeah. It's just you got to just be consistent. Then it'll build. I hope. Listen, coming off this podcast, I guarantee it'll help. And I know you were on Fitzsimmons show earlier today, right? Right. And I did a couple. Uh, who was it? Mac Marin's another one. Oh, okay. Right. And Billy Billy Burr. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, so. You did the trifecta. Uh, and trifecta plus one. Yeah. Um, there it is. Look at you. Da, da, da. Don Gavin Comedy. That's what it is, folks. Okay. Godfather of Boston Comedy. Don't tell that to Dick Darty. He'll get mad at you. Uh, he did. He did try to keep that, that title back. And I said, I mean, I actually <laughs> help people. You tell me one time that you actually a Godfather when someone came to you and said, "Can you give me advice? Can you help me write? Can you help me work out this material?" I spent time doing that. I said, "You never did in your life. Don't ever start call yourself the Godfather again." And he hasn't. Whoa! So, yeah. He stopped calling himself that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah. To you. Well, I don't think he calls himself that anywhere. Really? Because, yeah. Yeah. Not any, not anymore. But that was always his thing. Mm, well, this thing is gone. <laughs> <laughs> he he gave me a lot of gigs. I have yeah. nothing but love for that guy. We're really? all starting out. Yeah. He gave me a lot of gigs. He wow. paid my rent many times. Well, he had a lot of little uh, clubs. Yeah. Little, like your satellite clubs. Yeah. Over here, over here, over the here. huts. Comedy yeah. huts. Yeah. The Aku Akus. He had one that. time was uh, when he was, he was a music, musician yeah. way back. It was already in the majority. Yeah. And he was like the highest paid entertainer on Cape Cod. The Crystal Palace he had. And it, I mean, he was big. Yeah. And then, then things went south. And now he's big, but physically. He's still alive? Everything's good? Yeah. He's a big fat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of wide. Got, okay, you push yeah. your arms <laughs> out like <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, my, yeah my, I have a, what, 36 inch sleeve, but I can't get it out that far. I did all of his gigs. I did all those comedy huts. He had the Dick Darty comedy huts, yeah. Dick Darty comedy vault. Remember the vault? Yes, yes. Right there. That was another one. The vault was right down the street from Warrington Street. Right, not right, far right, at all. Right, right across the street there. Yeah. 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 yeah, he had a ton of rooms. Yes, he did. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, he, oh, yeah, it's true. I mean, he, would, he, he did work a lot more comedians than. Because other places didn't have that many avenues. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, he would headline you early, too. Like, where yeah. I really probably shouldn't have been headlining. <laughs> really didn't really have a solid 45. It was pretty patched up. Yeah. But uh, Fitzsimmons and I started out together. We were like a week apart. We started a week apart from each other, open mic nights. Yeah, he mentioned that. that, that yeah, that, that, we did. That's a, funny. And you, you didn't know each other previous? No, no, no. We met each other like at open mic night that's funny yeah both the same age it was it was fun times but it, we both have the same feeling like we were talking about you guys you know like you and 
all all the guys that are from that era. It's just right. like it was a. We were very very fortunate to be able to, because there was no hacks. Like hacks were not tolerated in no. Boston. No. Yeah, but, and even the audience, I always thought the audience were great, but they weren't patient either. No. You, you, had, to, you had to produce and produce quickly. They had high standards, too. Yeah, hopefully. Because you guys were so good. Yeah. Like, the standards of comedy, the level of comedy was very high in the town. Yeah. And I remember I had a friend of mine who came to visit me from New York, uh, and uh, he was shocked. He was like, there's so many good comics here that nobody knows. And I was like, dude, they know I'm in town. They know I'm in Boston. These guys are selling out every fucking night. And he's like, this is crazy. And I was like, yeah, these are like the best comics in the world, and people don't know who they are. <laughs> it's funny. Colin Quinn was one guy that came into Boston. And, they, and the people, but when they introduced him, he's from New York. I mean, he was getting booed before he said a word. <laughs> and then he's gone, he said, oh, my God. You know, and, but the, he got, the crowds did eventually like him. You yeah. Know? But when he first worked there, there was a sound booth at the side of Nick's. And he hid, he got off stage and hid in the sound booth until the show was over because he didn't want to have to walk through the crowd. He was in there. <laughs> He was in there for over two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making sense. That's about, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, well, the first time I saw Dom Herrera was at the at Nick's Comedy Stop, and he went through the gauntlet and survived. Oh, he did. The people loved him. There. He lo they loved him. Well, he's he, lovable. Everyone, yeah. So. Well, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was the only like national headliner that I ever saw that went through there and made it through. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 with flying colors. Yeah. Too. So yes. he killed. Yeah. And even at the end of it, he was uh, you know, like he said. Uh, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for coming tonight. I was amazing. You guys are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and like he just the sarcastic, silly way of doing comedy. He was the best. He fits in anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. But he fit in Boston like a glove. Yeah. I mean, that's where I first. Oh, saw he's him a Philly form. guy. Yep. And that same kind of thing. He was a pretty yeah. good jock at one time. He was a pretty yeah, good basketball, basketball player. player. Yeah. 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 So I so he had some kind of the same type of mentality as some of the some of the people. He's still Boston. fucking great. Yeah. He's still yeah. fucking great. He still kills the comedy store all the time. Yeah. He's and he's always on the road too. Cool. He's fantastic. He's uh he's a real comic. You know, there's sure. there's a few of those guys. It doesn't matter where you put them. You could put a show on the moon and he. Yeah, would go like up I think. Yeah, like Rocky Lepore. Mm -hmm. you know, sure. Like, yeah. That just, just, hey, how you doing? And yeah. he gets a laugh. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. You get a laugh for that? And yeah. it's a good laugh. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I mean, when you think back on your life, could you imagine yourself ever, I mean, I know you were a teacher at one point in time, but can you imagine never having found comedy? Uh, I'm very grateful that I did find it. I think if I was teaching in a different venue where I was teaching more advanced kids, I was in a, a vocational school where they didn't want to do, you know, one week they'd be in shop, the next week they'd be with me. And they didn't even want to be with me, you know. Um, coaching was different. I coached basketball and track, and that was terrific. And I spent most of my energy in that. But uh, so I think if I was in the right surroundings as a teacher, I would have stayed in teaching, you know, and probably uh, have done a lot less uh, of the evil things to my body. And uh, <laughs> But maybe I wouldn't have found comedy. But you've yeah. held up well. You, yeah. Intellectually, you're still there. I Hopefully. mean, I haven't seen you do stand-up in a long time, but I know everybody says you're still fucking killing. Well, it's still working, yeah. And you're the one guy that's still drinking. Uh, that I'm aware of, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But I don't really look around that much. But uh, there How, aren't many other things. Did you ever think about quitting? No, not really. No, <laughs> not, not really. at all? Oh, when I was in the hospital, I had a hernia operation, but then Rogers didn't smuggle some booze into the hospital, so that was it, yeah. yeah. He, he, brought, he brought in a thing of uh, vodka and chlor and a magnet, so he was going to pull out the, uh, the staples that I have, you know, the steel staples yeah. you put in when you get stitched up? He thought that was funny. He went, he went and stole a big magnet. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, that was just that was being funny. But he did bring booze into the hospital, so. <laughs> 
How long were you in the hospital for? Oh, for just, that? you know, whatever, four or five days. Whatever. So you almost quit for four or five days? Oh, yeah, almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Do you never, like, when you see all these guys going into AA and cleaning up, you never went, huh, maybe uh, maybe that's for me? No, no, never, never did. <laughs> no. I mean, so we stopped the blow and all that stuff, right. you know, but no, I, never, I never was much of a smoker, smoker of the grass, but uh, the drinking, you know, that's uh, pretty consistent with that. <laughs> you find something you like, stick with it. When did you stop the blow? Oh, oh a long, long time ago. Yeah, but um, I don't even remember exactly when. 80s, but, 90s? But you don't see any people doing that. I, mean, I don't know. I don't even know. Is there still a scene where people do Not it? comedy, no. Yeah. No, not a comedy scene with blow. Not that I know you of. Know, I mean, you remember, like, we talked to you said the comedy stuff. You know, you could, oh, no, don't, don't sit there. You know, because it'd be somebody had lines under this yeah. thing. Don't, 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 don't go over there. And it was like, wherever you went, you know. Well, they would offer to pay you and yeah, blow. Yeah, and get the giggles in Tampa, Florida. They honestly said, do you want all your money in blow? Or do you want some cash? I go, I'd want it all in cash. And then if I wanted to get blow, I could do that. I mean, you can't go into a grocery store and say, you know, I got these three items. Is this line big enough? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. Is that place still around? That giggles? I don't know. Yeah. I know Mike, that's where he got the name from. You know, Mike Klaus, but yeah. giggles, giggles and Saugus. But uh, I don't know. But that was another one of those real successful clubs at one time, as you know. There were great clubs in a lot of places, and sadly, most of them have gone down. Yeah. I'm mentioning the Comedy Works in Denver. It's just still one. It's still great. Oh, it's know? still great. That's, that was such a successful, and still is. Such yeah. A successful, I always thought that was one of the best-run clubs in the whole of the United States. Well, so. Wendy, the lady who owns yeah, Wendy, it and yeah. runs it, she's yeah. fucking awesome. She's been around from way back. I go to yeah. see her every time yeah. I'm in town. And sometimes I still even work that club. Really? Yeah. I, I, I work that club, too. I'll, I'll alternate between the big theaters, then I'll go back and yeah. do her club. I, I love that her. That place was electric. Yes. Yeah. And she's got another one. She's yes. got a, a yeah. one. Yeah. I rebuilt another one. Another second mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's got a second one. But yeah, there's uh, you know, the Zanies in Nashville, still really good. Right. There's, there's a bunch of real good clubs still on the road. Right. Well, just, maybe I'll rediscover these. I'll stop going out on, on the ships. I've been out floating too much. Maybe I'll come back. Yeah, you'd enjoy it. Now, if you did do that, would you take someone on the road with you? Like, how do you do it? When you do the ships, is it just you or yeah, do you bring somebody me. with you? Just me. Yeah. How much time do you do? Uh, varies. You know, usually you do like a headline spot. You do like a 50, 55, you know, and do two of those. But you can do the same stroke, you know, that type of thing. So, so you only need, you need like an hour and a half stuff total. Right, you know, like, I guess is what it was, but it is kind of a lazy to man job. You can do the same sets, you know. That's what right. I just found an interest in talking to you about incorporating something new at the beginning. That's uh, that's going to be challenging. I'm going to try that. It's not. I, the I've never the tried best it. idea. Never tried it. The best idea I think is probably to sandwich it in between established jokes. Like yeah. you have a joke that you know is going to work, you get their confidence, and then you slip in a new yeah. one. Yeah. And then, but every now and then, I like to open with a new wow. one just to see what the fuck is up. I like it. Just to fucking test it. Take that little colt and see how it can run on those legs. <laughs> Giddy up. Yeah. You no know. fear. No fear, Joe. I like it. No, I got some fear. Believe yeah. me. But sometimes that fear is what makes the punchline comes out. Yeah. You know, the, the punchlines that come out of nowhere, you know how it is. Like sometimes you ad lib and it'll just come out of nowhere. You're like, where is that? Where, where is that coming from? When you have an idea and it just pops into your head and makes its way onto, st and, and then it gets a big laugh. And then you know it's the right thing to say right there. Right. You know it. And just. Out of nowhere. And now, in your, th your thing, you travel all, everywhere. Is there one particular area that eh, doesn't seem to 
a click as much? Connecticut. Connecticut can eat plates, really? Just plates, that one state plates of shit. That, All of Connecticut go fuck off. Really? Yeah. I, my wow. friend Chappelle Lacey, I, I told him how bad Connecticut sucks, and he was just there this weekend, and he sent me a text message. He goes, you weren't fucking kidding. Connecticut. This place is terrible. I wasn't expecting that. One, one place from New England. One There's something about it. Wow. Rhode Island, great. Wow. Rhode Island's fantastic. New Jersey, awesome. Love it. New York, love it. Connecticut, eat shit. Wow. <laughs> wow. When I was doing the travel, the only place I had one that they positively hated me, Memphis. Oh, Memphis, they, they hated, hated you? Hated. Well, really? I talk way too fast oh. <laughs> to them. And I also speak English. Oh. And uh, they, boy, they hated me. Yankee, Yankee. I said, no, I said, no, the Red Sox. You know, they had the wrong team. And uh, they, uh, they booed me again, like, like Colin Quinn, before I even got on stage. And they had one of those clocks, like the ones they had that was in uh, Back to the Future, that ping ping clock. Was, and you could see it. And you had yeah. to do 45 minutes. And I'm going, shit, I got to be close to done. I look up. I had done 11 minutes. I'm like, <sighs> my God. This is I got off stage and went table to table and heckled people. With this day. And then I went back on stage and realized I still had 15 minutes more to go. Oh, my God. They hated me. What year was this? Uh, it seemed, seemed like it was a whole year when I was there just doing the one week. That was quite quite a while ago. That's all. But, but they, I mean, they, and I did. I was there for the week. That's the point. So it wasn't like anybody was saying, "Hey, you got to see this guy." People were saying, "You can't. You shouldn't see this guy." You know, it was, it was horrible. Does it suck every night? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It did. Yes. It did. Yeah. It was so bad, and it was we had horrible boil. It was like a thunderstorm, and and you know, you know the ones that there's only twenty people going to be there. We said, if it's not twenty people, we don't do a show. Right. So we had sixteen people. And I'm going, oh, beautiful. We're going to get paid. Don't have to do a show. And two cars come up. I went out and knocked in the windows. They said, oh, okay, we got terrible plumbing problems. See you guys later. Come back. Come on. See you later. And I forced them to leave so I wouldn't have to do the show. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Boston Comics, one of the things about guys that they would go on the road, they had so much regional material. Boston Comics had so much Boston comedy, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you don't. I was no. going to say that. Like, Sweeney has a lot. Yes. Yes, like Sweeney in Boston is a goddamn sure. murderer. Sure, but some of that stuff he can't do in other places. He has to kind of rearrange his act. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mine is more. It's always been more universal. That's yeah, more observational than yeah. And I, I don't really have many Boston per, per se Boston jokes. Yeah, other than something about the accent, but that's a, that's about it. But uh, now I just ask you one end of the other. Where's the other end? Where's where's like a favorite? Area? Um, I love Texas. Texas really? is probably one of my favorite places to go. Yeah, really? I love all, Austin. I love Dallas. I love Houston. I love going there. Really? Yeah, they're wild fucking people. <laughs> I mean, they're the remnants of the Wild West. Right. That's what it's like. I mean, they're the wagon trains that made it all the way to California, and a bunch of people made it to Texas, and they went, we're good. Right. We're just going to stop right here. And they're, they're just wild. It's just a different kind of people. They're real friendly, real, right. real nice folks. It's one of my favorite places to go. Cool. I love it. Now, what about uh, foreign countries like England? When you mentioned England, I love England. Yeah. I've been to England a bunch of times doing stand up. That's great. They're fun. They yeah. like to drink. Woo! Yeah, I did a tour. Well, I did a tour. Yeah, they did like me, especially the drinking part. Oh, they're rowdy I'm, people. I'm at, I'm at a bar one time. We were doing the shot. I said, and I wanted some ice. And the guy said, "Oh, and everybody drink, drinking just shots and and beer, and I'm I'm drinking liquor." And I said, "I wanted some ice." And the guy goes, "Oh, the ice machine is broken." I said, "Well," and I was a bartender. I went back. I said, "Well, bartender, if you hit it." Some ice will fall out of you. Well, it broke over a year ago. I said, oh, okay, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> They're just not interested in yeah. ice. Yeah, yeah, if you buy a soda over there sometimes, like you get a glass of soda, it comes with no ice. Nothing. You're like, what is this? Where's the... And then when I did Australia, 
Australia was that, that's kind of a rowdy place too. Oh, so, I love it over yeah. there. And Australia's they, amazing. They get in and they get into just willing. They're willing to just show stuff out to you. you know? Yeah, not necessarily heckling, but just right. showing those things in town. What do you mean by that? Explain the shit. They like to drink there too. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I did a whole set over there about uh, Halloween. And it went absolutely nowhere. And I, and I went, kind of rewrote the next night, nowhere. And I'm saying, why is this thing not working? And it's like a guy says to me, what is this Halloween? They, they didn't, in those days, didn't celebrate Halloween there. What? He said, you send your kids to strangers' houses to beg for candy? Why not for food? Why wouldn't they go get food or money? I go, it's Halloween. He didn't know what it was. They, now they have Halloween. But as of like 20 years ago, they didn't have Halloween. Halloween is only 20 years old in Australia? yes. yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think that would be a universal thing, but it was not. They have a lot of comedy over there now. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have really funny comics now, especially in Melbourne. They have a- Yeah, I love Melbourne. That was a Melbourne's place. great. They have yeah. the Comics Lounge. Uh, I performed with uh, Tony Hinchcliffe there when right. I was there back. A lot of comics from LA fly over there and do that place. Yeah, you mentioned Richie Jenny. I work with him over there at uh, the Hilton, which is right across from the tennis center where they play the big- uh, Australian in open. Australia, yeah. Okay. Richard Jenny was one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, God damn, terrific. he was good. Terrific. He was so good. He's yeah. like probably, in my opinion, one of the most underrated guys ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, where to this day, like people forget how goddamn good he was. And he's prolific too. Oh, so prolific. Yeah. You know, you remember Eastside Comedy Club in Long Island? Yes. Yes. He worked at Eastside Comedy Club in Long Island. I remember it was me and a couple of the other guys that were were there, were were stunned. Because the host said, I go, hey, how was uh, Jenny this weekend? He goes, not only did he murder, he was did, he, not only did Jenny murder every show, but he did four different hours. Wow. He did a different hour, two shows, two different hours Friday, two different hours on Saturday. Wow. He goes, he did four different hours. He goes, he didn't repeat a joke, and he goes, and he was on top of his fucking game, on fire. And we're, and like, that was like 80, I guess it was 91, 92. Yeah. He was... If he wasn't the best in the world, he right. was right, right but up there. But he was there. so honest about that. I said, I said uh, you know, you're something about your life. He said, there's two things in my life, comedy and porn. And he said, I spent a lot of time on both of them. <laughs> that, was a, that was a quote. Yeah. Well, that's why he was so good. I yeah. mean, he, was, he was obsessed. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was uh, an interesting cat. It was a real bummer when he killed himself. Yeah. He was uh, for sure one of my favorites. I got to see him live a bunch of times. And what what I loved about that guy is he would take a subject, like save the subject with cigarettes. Yeah. He would beat that subject into the ground. He would find every fucking angle. He would cover every piece of, every possible way you could talk right. about that bit. Kind of like when, when George Collin would take a bit that I would have, you know, a, a, an idea or a premise, we'll say. Right. I could get three and a half minutes in. He'd get 15 minutes. Yeah. And of gold. Yeah. 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 And, but Jenny would be like, punchline, punchline, punchline. Like, yeah. God damn, he was good. Yeah. We've seen a lot of great comics in our day. Yes, we have. And uh, hopefully a few more. Hopefully there'll be more people seeing me now that I'm back out. For sure. <laughs> um, so you said it's available now on Pandora and on Sirius. That's correct. And next week it's going to be available be on all on the streaming, Spotify, Spotify and all those guys. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, Don Gavin, com comedy Don Gavin, what is it? Don Gavin Comedy. Don Gavin Comedy on Instagram. And the name of the album is there Don is. Gavin Live with the Manhattan. There it is. Look yeah. at you. Yes. Ta-da. Handsome bastard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen, uh, it's been an honor having it's you been in here. I, I really appreciate you. And uh, thanks for all the inspiration over the years. And I, from the bottom of my heart, seeing you and seeing those guys from Boston it, uh, when I was starting out it meant everything for me. Hey, really your compliments did. mean a lot to me. 
Thank you, my friend. Don Gavin, everybody. Bye. Oh, thank you, sir. That was great. Thank you.